Welcome to the Zen Stoic Path, where we share a modern take on timeless wisdom to help you develop unshakable inner peace so that you can live a liberated life. I'm your host, Victor Pierantoni, and the co-founder and head liberation coach. Be sure to follow me on social at victor.liberatedlife for daily content. Let's get into the show. So this episode, we're going to be focusing on integral intention. So this is our part two of the Zen Stoic rendition of the Eightfold Path. Now, intentionality is super important. On our last episode, we talked about the idea of the integral view, which is ultimately a way of expanding the way that you view yourself and the world so that you can see things more clearly, so that you can have a more expansive identity and perspective. Because it is difficult for us to do the right things in our lives if we have a limited identity. It is difficult for us to focus on what's important and focus on what is meaningful if we view ourselves and the world in a limited way. So when we went through integral intention, we talked about the idea of cause and effect, the idea of perception is projection, and we talked about the idea of the backwards law. Knowing these things and having them in your awareness allow you to have total sovereignty over yourself, total responsibility for yourself, and it gives you the ability to bring all your power back to you instead of casting it out to people, circumstances, or the stories about yourself that are clearly not true. And then perception is projection allows us to realize that anything and everything that we see, we filter through our own experiences, our own emotions, our own beliefs, our own values, so that if we see something that triggers us, it is not the thing that is wrong, but it is actually something that is unresolved within ourselves that we can actually look at. And by having an integral view, we have the ability to look at that and not limit our identity to our emotional triggers. And lastly, we talked about the backwards law, which is essentially that you cannot have up without down. You cannot have light without darkness. So the way that we set our goals and we set forth our path in life is not just asking for the thing that we want, but it's simultaneously calling in the obstacles into our path to show us where we are not yet free through the backwards law. And when we talked about this, we talked about how the obstacle is the way. And the obstacle is the way is not just a philosophically uplifting idea, but it is a concept that touches on a profound reality that we experience as human beings, which is that when we change the way that we look at the world through our goals, because ultimately what our goals are, they're problems that we want to solve. They're solutions that we're moving towards. And so whatever we decide that that goal is, changes the frame of reference with how we view the world and the world itself changes how it looks to us. And so we cast those obstacles into the world unconsciously, that is, so that we can show us where we're not yet free and so that we have the opportunity to define the obstacle and define our place in the world rather than allowing the obstacle to define us. And this brings us into integral intention because your intention is limited by the view that you have. And we call these parts of the Zen Stoic Eightfold Path integral because they are essential and interconnected with one another. And so when we think about the integral view, the integral view, the more expanded we become in our view of ourselves and others, the more we're going to actually be able to deepen our intentions and make sure that they are totally aligned with how we see ourselves from an expanded point of view. Now, this topic is one that is incredibly near and dear to my heart because it is essentially the core of Zen Stoic philosophy. We talked about the intentions and delusions. Now, typically, when I tell the story of the intentions and delusions and how they were birthed, I actually talk about it from my own experience because the inspiration for Zen Stoic philosophy began 
when I was just seven years old. I didn't know it at the time. I didn't know this was going to turn into a philosophy that points people towards unshakable inner peace. But it began when my mom passed away when I was just seven years old. And I was totally unprepared for the experience. Emotionally, mentally, it disoriented my entire world. It devastated me on a level that I couldn't comprehend at the time. And so I lived a lot of my life feeling like a victim, feeling totally disconnected and disoriented from the world around me. And this really made things difficult, but it was one of the greatest blessings of my life that I didn't really even realize at the time, because what it unlocked was this desire, this urge to help not just myself, but to help others to transcend the suffering of their darkest experiences into gifts that they can use for their purpose. And I didn't realize that at the time, but my mother's death was not about me. It was about her. It was her death. It was her destiny. And I remember through doing some of the work that I do when I was in the seat of the client as, you know, doing the type of liberation work and breakthrough work that I do. I remember realizing the root cause of the guilt that I felt in my life was when I was in the womb. And you may be hearing that and thinking, how could you possibly remember that? The truth is I don't consciously remember that. But that is what my unconscious mind gave when I was going through this exercise. And I just talked about it a couple episodes ago regarding the coach that I hired, Michelle Alderman. Uh, if you haven't seen that episode, definitely make sure to go watch it. But I realized this when working with her that the root of my guilt was in the womb because I believe that I was taking away from my mother. I was taking life away from her because it was at that point in time that I realized on an unconscious level that my mother's time was limited. So going through my life when she passed away at seven years old, I was absolutely devastated, but I wasn't surprised that it happened. I almost knew that it was going to happen. And that didn't make it any less painful for that matter. But the point is, I didn't realize that my mother's purpose on this earth was to give birth to me. That's what she was here for and to be around long enough for me to know her. And that was it. And I didn't realize that until I was 30 years old. So I'd carried with me this deep-seated guilt that my life came at the price of hers. And so this caused me a very interesting view on life, a very limited view, not an integral view, where I was actually looking at life in a way that I wasn't good enough and that I needed to prove that I was a good person, that I, I needed to prove that I deserved to be here as a human being on earth. And so I lived my life in this way constantly. And I would perform and try to be the person that everybody wanted me to be. I remember that through my life, I had constantly victimized myself about this, thinking to myself that it was unfair to me, that I was the victim in my own life, and that I had been dealt an unlucky hand by having a world in which I grew up without my mom there. And for a long time, I would ask myself questions like, why did this happen to me? And I would victimize myself saying that life wasn't fair. And ultimately, through a lot of this, I became very insecure as a person. I didn't believe life was fair. I didn't believe I was good enough. And I would always have these, these experiences growing up that, you know, in grade school, when it was Mother's Day, and, you know, all the kids were told to make a project or a gift for their mom, I would sit there awkwardly in elementary school, like, not knowing what to do, not knowing what to feel, and not making sense of anything. So this perpetually made me feel disconnected and isolated from the world. I remember I felt very alone, and I didn't understand how to process these feelings or what to do with them. So fast forward into my life, I had this intention 
of always trying to make things about me, of always wanting to feel seen and wanting to make, wanting to feel enough. Now, I didn't realize this until I was 30 years old, but for the longest time, I was actually carrying around unprocessed anger. And the anger was in the place, and the anger was towards somebody that I would have never expected. The anger was actually towards my mom. And I didn't realize this until I sat as the client in the liberation session that I typically do for people. And I was able to uncover the root of a lot of my traumas. And one of them was that I had actually become angry with my mom for getting sick and for dying. And this is something that was completely out of my awareness because it's something that happened when I was between the ages of five to seven years old. When I was five, I knew that she was going to die. I knew that she wasn't going to make it. I don't know how I knew, but there was something inside me, some intuitive feeling that told me that my time with her was limited. So when she did get sick and she wasn't getting better, I began to get angry. And when she did pass away, I was even angrier. But the thing is, as a little kid, I thought to myself, how could I possibly be angry with my mom? This is crazy. I mean, like, I, th this is so wrong. And I felt so wrong for it that what I ended up doing is instead of getting angry and feeling my feelings, what I did instead is I got guilty. I felt guilty that I was even angry. And I started carrying that guilt with me over and over and over again. And so what that did for me in my life is that anytime I had a situation where I should have been angry, like somebody wronged me or somebody did something that was messed up, instead of actually getting angry in a healthy and appropriate manner, I would actually start to feel guilty. I'd start to direct things towards myself. I'd start to say, well, what did I do to cause this? Or how did I create this situation? Now, me doing that over and over again led to this idea that I had to prove myself. So everything that I said and everything that I did was to prove myself, was to get some kind of attention to prove that I was good enough. And I would do this over and over and I would create these situations where I would, I mean, a lot of this is unconscious, so it's not, I, I didn't do these things on purpose necessarily, but I would create these situations where I would have people fighting against me or not believing in me and I would have to rise up and struggle to prove them wrong. And I operated on this for a long time. So one of the reasons why I tell this story is because this is something that, that existed unconsciously within me that I was lucky enough to uncover and to process so that it would no longer have a hold on me. And then fast forward, after she passed away, fast forward several years, I always felt like a victim. I always felt disconnected and that, like I said, like I didn't deserve to be here. Like I always had to prove myself. And so when I was in my early 20s, I received an inheritance from her death. And it was a lot of money to me at the time. And I thought to myself, I'm going to be really smart with this money. I'm going to do everything that I can to grow beyond my situation. Life has been unfair to me, but you know what? I'm going to one-up life. And I had that mentality that I always wanted to get ahead, that I wanted to kind of get the next hack or, you know, expedite the process of my success, accelerate my success. And I made a bunch of investments that I thought were really good. I invested in a lot of coaches, a lot of different programs, a lot of mentoring and whatnot, got burned several times, got scammed out of lots and lots of money through this journey, always trying to do this thing to get ahead, always trying to prove myself more and more. And then next thing I knew it, I had run through the entire amount and I felt shameful. I felt stupid. I felt inadequate. I felt even guiltier than I did before because here I was with this abundant gift and yet it had felt like I squandered it. But I asked myself a really important question 
when that happened. And I said to myself, what did you actually learn from this? What was the purpose of this experience? And what I realized is that the purpose of that experience was that it taught me how to be intentional and that I was not at any point being intentional. I wasn't pointing back to my own experience of humanity, which is what intentionality is. It points you back to the present experience of being human. Instead, I was being delusional. I was trying to chase these abstractions of reality of feeling good enough, which is just a concept in my head. It's not even real. It's just an idea that I had about myself. And so through the work that I had done recently, I had reshaped the belief that I had, that my life came at the price of my mom's and instead realized that my mom wanted to have me. My mom and dad had trouble conceiving me for the longest time. And then they finally got pregnant with me and that she gave birth to me. And so the purpose of her life was to bring me into this world that it was a gift for them. And through my work with Michelle that I talked on the previous couple episodes was that I was the gift. And so I no longer operated from a place of feeling unworthy. I no longer operated from a place of shame and guilt. And I was able to actually let that go. And when I let it go, it changed the way that I looked at myself and the way I looked at life. It changed the view of myself. I began to have a much more integral view. And with that integral view, I asked myself, well, what was the purpose of this? And it birthed these Zen Stoic intentions and delusions. And so I've talked about the intentions and delusions at length on previous episodes, but I'll review them real quick here. So there are four pair bonds. We have embrace versus resistance, understanding versus control, discipline versus expediency, and sincerity versus performance. And so ultimately, the reason why we have the intentions and delusions is because you can do and say all the right things in life, but that doesn't necessarily equate to your inner peace. And when it comes to something like the use of our resources, like money, what will cost you the most are your own insecurities, are your own delusions and limiting beliefs about yourself. And that is where my resources ended up going. I was living this life of delusion and I didn't even realize it. I thought I was getting ahead. I thought I was doing the right thing and trying to grow myself. But the reality is, is I was just trying to fulfill delusions, things that weren't really even allowing me to be a better person just trying to fill this void of insecurity that I had in my mind. And so when we think about the intentions and delusions, embrace is to love what is. It is the whole idea of amor fati, like we've talked about, the love of fate, which comes from Frederick Nietzsche. To not necessarily just bear your existence or bear reality, but to just actively love it. Love what is because it is now. And it's all about totally taking in the present moment realizing that now is all that exists, whereas resistance is wishing that it were different or wishing that you were different. And I can't tell you how many countless hours and even years that I spent in wishing that I were different. And that was not intentional. It was completely delusional. I wasn't embracing who I was as a person. I was totally trying to fulfill this delusion of what I thought I needed to be. And then you have understanding versus control. So things happen in life that we don't understand, that we don't know, and we try to control that which we cannot understand. And we try to put things in a box so that we can control them and understand them. But the reality is, is that control is just a delusional way of thinking. It limits us. It, it basically tries to put life into a box, tries to compartmentalize our experience. Whereas understanding 
is the intention to, to learn, to seek through curiosity, to lead with curiosity and ask questions and be endlessly curious towards understanding and taking in even more. Then we have discipline versus expediency, which has everything to do with your relationship to your own emotions. Discipline is the prioritization of what is meaningful over what is gratifying. So when we think about discipline, it is about taking the emotions that we feel and then alchemizing or transitioning those emotions into actions that are truly meaningful and effective and that move you towards a worthy goal that orient your world in a way that allows you to experience positive emotions. Because the goals that we set change the frame of reference with how we see the world. Reality itself transforms before our eyes based on what the goal is. And we experience positive emotion in relationship to a goal, in relationship to the journey that we are on. And it takes discipline and the focus on what is meaningful and being a student to something bigger than yourself that allows you to experience those emotions those positive emotions, and it transcends the negative emotions. Whereas gratification or expediency, which is the counterpart to discipline, is actually the prioritization of gratification over something that is meaningful. And so what it is, is it's trying to soothe those painful emotions rather than to transcend them. So expediency might look like, well, I don't want to feel sad anymore, so I'm going to go have a drink, or I'm going to go eat something, or I'm going to go watch TV. So we use bridges through any means necessary to expedite the painful emotions, to expedite the suffering that we experience rather than actually transcending it through something that is meaningful to us. Then we have sincerity versus performance, which was the one that plagued me most through my life. In feeling this deep-seated guilt, like I had to prove myself worthy, that I wasn't good enough, that I wasn't a good person, that I had to prove that I deserved to be here, caused me to perform to try to be all things to all people all the time. Caused me to be a yes man, never check in with myself to see if I actually genuinely wanted to do something, but rather to just agree to things, rather just be something for someone else. So sincerity is the prioritization of your self-respect based on what is most authentic to you, speaking and acting in your truth, whereas performance is prioritizing the appeasement and the approval of others so that you're able to be accepted and fit in. But the reality is, you'll never feel accepted unless you accept yourself first. And the only route to accept yourself first is sincerity. It is the ultimate strategy that you develop trust for yourself. You develop self-love, self-respect, self-compassion through words and actions of sincerity. And so, the intentions and delusions were birthed from this experience. Performance being my delusion that plagued me most through my life. But I was able to transcend these things because of the pain that I had experienced. I talked about this episode on, I talked about this particular story that I'm going to tell on an episode way back uh, for my 30th birthday. And it's the story of the prodigal son. And the prodigal son is a really interesting story. It's a, pro, it's a parable from the Bible I'm not particularly religious, but the story is really fascinating with how it actually illustrates the narrative of our minds and how we actually process information and experience. So the story goes like this. There's a father with an older son and a younger son. The younger son wants to spend his inheritance. So he asks the father, and finally the father gives him the inheritance, and he runs off, and he goes and experiences life. He has all these adventures. He pursues his deepest fantasies and desires. He has all the most pleasurable experiences, eats all the best food, 
and lives his life. And finally, after some years of being gone, he starts to run out of his inheritance and starts to have to feed food to pigs just as a job. Like that's, that's what he ended up having to do to support himself. Meanwhile, the older brother never did anything like that. The older brother always listened to his father, never talked back, wanted to be the best son that he could possibly be. And so he obeyed everything that his father would ask him. And eventually the younger son couldn't support himself and wanted to come back. So word got back to the father that this younger son wanted to come back. And so when the father found this out, he rejoiced. He got all excited and he's like, okay, let's, let's make a feast for my son when he, he returns. And then finally, for the first time ever, the older brother spoke up and he said, hold on a second. You're going to let my younger brother come back after all that he did. I've never disobeyed you. I've never done anything wrong. And here you're just going to accept him coming back. And the father said, yes, that is true, but he is my son. And we need to rejoice. We need to celebrate the fact that he's coming back. He's coming home. The older brother couldn't understand this. And then the younger son came home and he said, dad, will you take me back? And the father said, you were lost and now you're found. Now that's the end of the story. The essence of this story is that you are the father. The older son is the part, the ego, that wants to look a certain way to everybody, that wants to do all the right things, but never goes out and learns for themselves. They just take blindly what other people and the environment tell them, whereas the younger son goes out and experiences this. And through his recklessness, through his sense of adventure and his suffering, he ultimately loses himself. And he loses himself so that he can return to himself. Now, this particular rendition of that story comes from Guy Ritchie. And it is one of my favorites because it illustrates that the way I was able to come back to intentionality came from living in delusion. And so whether you are already intentional in the way that you want to be or you are delusional, one has excessive and unnecessary suffering on the side of delusion. Intention brings you back into the present moment, but ultimately, as the saying goes, a fool who persists in their folly eventually becomes wise. That was my story. That is how I learned integral intention. And you use the intentions and delusions as a self-governing system to be intentional about all that it is that you want to do. And the idea with intentionality is to be 100% intentional about anything and everything that you do. If you are even a few percentage points off, what will end up happening is you will begin to cast your power outside of you to people, to circumstances, to stories about yourself. And then you will allow the obstacles of the world, the troubling situations, the stressful situations to define you and keep you trapped in the areas that still have a hold on you. But when you're 100% intentional and you let go of form, you let go of attachment to the mechanism in which your goals or your ideal reality needs to come to pass, and you focus on being 100% intentional, the mechanisms of the world will show themselves to you. The external reality will bend to your will, but you must stay intentional. So, hope you enjoyed this episode of Integral Intention. And on the next one, we're going to be talking about integral action. How to conduct yourself in a way that allows you to live liberated. I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode. It is my mission to help as many people as possible to live a liberated life with unshakable inner peace through the content on this podcast. Subscribe to this channel with notifications on to be notified daily whenever we share a new episode. 